Welcome to the podcast, Cutting for Sign. I'm Ron Cecil, men's life coach and writer, together with my co-host, best friend and artist, Daniel Penner-Klein. Throughout our lives and as friends over the past decade, we've asked, how do we find the clues and puzzle pieces that align us with our higher potential? Join us as we converse with experts, artists, adventurers, mental health professionals, and fellow deep thinkers as we cut for sign and attune our own potential, mental health, and creativity. like the sky. Hey everybody, welcome to Cutting for Sign. Ron Cecil here. Cutting for Sign. That's a good name for a podcast. We should call it, uh, call our next podcast Cutting for Sign. How many people do you think listen to this and have listened to it for quite a while and don't know what cutting for sign means? Uh, I think there's most the people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't mind saying it over and over. I think it's really good. You know, plus like when we say what it means, you know, we kind of give it another pass and yeah. we, we polish it up for ourselves too. I mean, it's, I, I, we could have picked a name like from ye old English that, that probably would have been more familiar to people. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good book that is out there. It's all about phrases that have been left behind, but that shouldn't have been left behind because they're great. <laughs> God damn, I should come up with a fuck. If you if you drop a thing like that, you got to come up with an example. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about like wetting my appetite, <laughs> leaving me hanging. <laughs> what a tease. Oh, Jeez. I've been well, looking up a lot of etymologies around around phrases lately. It is so fun. Oh, knock on look, wood. Did you look up? Um, yeah, knock on wood. That was from David Howitz when he was on our podcast. I did. Yeah. Yes. Knock on wood comes. Yeah, it comes from uh, old spiritual uh, uh, traditions where they believed that um, spirits, uh, positive spirits, lived in trees, huh. and so to evoke those spirits, you would knock on the tree. Oh. Interesting. Not what? Yeah, okay. not what I expected. He also told us to look up the word testify. Yeah, I looked that up and it wasn't that interesting. I didn't understand does why it, he asked Does us. it connect with testimonial? I don't know, but I just remember testimony. looking it up and being like, that's exactly what you would think it would be. It wasn't interesting in, in a way that I thought he was leading us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was I thinking feel, about I, I feel word. the pain of David right now because <laughs> as a dad, and I get excited about showing my kids things, and I'm like, guys, you guys, you got to come check this out. Dude, we're all, we all do clunkers, man. Maybe he was thinking about a different word, but I looked it up and I was like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that though, like learning about, about the etymology stuff. Oh, quick story. Uh, back in the like late nineties, I would say, I, I knew that it was fascinating to learn the etymology of words it, they would connect it, break it down into the, the suffix and the prefix, and those would have r roots in other languages. And then, and that sometimes it just made you look at the word from a different angle, you know, you're holding this thing up, looking at an angle, you'd never seen it before. And so this was like pre kind of internet, definitely pre my ability to, it was like pre Wikipedia, pre you can type anything in and it'll right. definitely come up. And I fucking tracked down a suffix prefix book, this obscure thin book that I had to like order from New York from a private little 
either collection like, a, or, like an actual little bookstore not yeah, yeah. Wow. exactly yeah but when i got it i was so excited and i used that thing for did you 15 years now it's like you don't need it. you just google it but yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so that, that interest goes back i think it's something that's going to come up in the world more and more is is people being like oh where'd that word come from where'd that phrase come from well there's now there i mean the language changes so fast uh, yeah you know, my, my son's generation in the kind of teens, twenties, I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> like, I, it's really? like funny to me. Yeah. For instance, if someone says they're lying, um, or if they're claiming someone else is lying, they say that's cap. Have you heard that? That's cap. I haven't heard that. Where's that yeah. come from? Or if, or I have no idea. Or if they say, um, you know, you gotta believe me, they'll say no cap. Like I'm not lying. Okay. Yeah. Like CAP? CAP. Interesting. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I've never heard that one. I love it. Okay. Uh, today we're going to have a, a person named Abigail Taylor on. She is a neurodivergent coach. And I'm excited about this. Huh. What'd you learn about Cap? No lie or for real often used to emphasize someone is not exaggerating about something. Oh, interesting, but it doesn't say where the cap comes from. But note, noted. Noted. Oh, the word cap meant to brag. In the early 90s, according to dictionary.com, the word cap meant to brag or exaggerate. Hmm. So see, that's crazy. That comes right from the 90s. Wow, that's that's surprising. How did we miss that one? (laughs) <laughs> not part of the cool club obviously not, not part, part of the, part of the cool, cool club, club. <laughs> far uh, from the cool club is it too late to become part of the cool club that's why i was telling you i'm so interested in quentin tarantino because that guy's like that he's so funny uh just real quick uh because he's like the essence of cool in my mind for in the in like the movies he makes right oh. so i've been watching all these quentin tarantino reels and stuff and i, I was like fuck it, i'm gonna watch an interview with him and it was the most recent interview and it was him being like the dorkiest dad you ever imagined because he's a dad now yeah and he's just like goofing on he was so excited about being a dad and he was like singing the songs he sings to his i think it's a son um or no it's a it's a little girl and they're just like little dinosaur songs and i was like quentin oh my god <laughs> oh, it was so good the dad like, gets on it. what's your favorite tarantino film Ooh, <clears throat> probably just go Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, but but when he did um, uh, the War one, Inglorious Bastards, I was that's like, a good one. That's solid. <clears throat> yeah, and then the, the latest one. Uh, what about you? I was gonna say Reservoir Dogs. I mean, he's proud of it still too. People yeah. go, how do you, how do you succeed at being a filmmaker? He goes, make Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I have a great story about that. Uh, Nice. Ready? Yeah. My, I, I owned that movie on VHS in the nineties. Hell yeah. And, yeah. and I, um, I was, you know, I was a teenager and my parents, I was out of town and my, my grandparents were over staying with my evangelical mother and stepfather who were like, didn't watch rated R movies, you know, were not into Tarantino at all. And my grandparents go, let's watch a movie. And, uh, my parents were like, okay. And my grandfather, my step-grandfather goes, this looks good. He picks yeah. up Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom yeah. was like, no, I don't know. It's probably something we don't want to watch. And my grandparents insist on it. 
And <laughs> and you know how that movie starts is it's the it's the explanation of like a virgin before there's even yeah they're all sitting around the table the the diner yeah before there's even <laughs> visuals on the screen it's black oh, screen nice. and then it's like it's just nice. showing the cast and the who's written by and and he's talking about like a virgin and it's it's, it's filthy and explicit and uh, my parents and my stepmother or my my you know grandparents couldn't even make it my but my grandmother and and her um, husband were laughing so hard. Oh, they were into it. They were, they were laughing. They were just oh, laughing because it was making my mother and my stepfather so uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> That'd be a good scene for a, for a story in itself, you know, just the most uncomfortable, like watching of a, a film. One time my uh, college uh, uh, track coach took a bunch of girls to um, nationals <clears throat> and they were like, let's have a movie night. And like the night before or something, just something mellow. And I think it was like blazing saddles or something, but the like <laughs> yeah. raucous sexism and, <laughs> and racism, it was just, it did not land, you know, <laughs> and being really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, Abigail Taylor's here. Abigail Taylor, you are a neurodivergent life coach. You founded a platform called the confident indie community where you help individuals learn to love and work with their unique brain. Abigail, you believe in working with the brain. Each of us has been given that people are amazing just the way they are. And in leaving oneself open to living experiences, despite what others think. All right, Abigail, welcome to Cutting for Sign. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Ron, for having me. And I love that intro. I believe you wrote it and I couldn't have written it better myself. I love that. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. You know, yeah. uh, it's a really fun process to create those. Um, this was, uh, you know, yours was kind of a short one, just just felt, ni felt nice to keep it, uh, keep it that way. But while I was doing that, you know, taking in your, um, your content and getting the vibe for, for who you are and what you're putting out there, you know, I, I would say out of everyone we've had um, on here, uh, you probably are like the most maybe vulnerable and open with what you put out there. And it's, it's kind of intense and it's kind of, or not kind of, it's beautiful. And um, I, 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 I imagine you get a really beautiful response from people. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And that is, the part that is the most important to me is being vulnerable, being real and authentic, because I, for so long in my life, was noticing that I could talk to just about anyone and find connection to them and find commonalities that go deep, not just the small talk commonalities, but the things that are really important and big for other people. And that was really special, but to be able to bring those things to a platform where I can reach thousands of people and to put myself out there in a vulnerable way that really risks not just being interpreted by the person who I'm connecting to, but by people who don't always understand, that was really hard at first, especially, but continuously because I'm always trying to become more and more open to sharing myself and with that, there's always a bit of fear, but I think when you, when you said the intro of recognizing that we all have unique brains, there's part of that that is 
so true. And then also the part that we're all more similar than sometimes we give ourselves credit for. And when we can share our experiences with each other and recognize that we have similar experiences, it really helps us not feel so alone. Well, and that's really well said. And and I think that so many of those experiences, the reason we don't know we share them is because they're on the inside. There are our emotions, there are beliefs or values, maybe a, some of our private experiences that we're not mm-hmm. really um, ready or willing to share or, or not practiced at sharing, and maybe some of our dreams and desires. Um, but so when someone like that term individuate, uh, Jungian term of, of bringing the outside, the inside out, and making it part of the outer world. Um, You know, I think that that is some of the most, not only some of the most valuable work that people do, um, but also potentially one of our main purposes as as humans, you know, is to bring this subconscious content into the world and, and, and let us, let us deal with it. Abby, can you, can you tell us a little bit, is it okay if I call you Abby? Is that all right? Of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, all, yeah just Ronnie, of course. <laughs> no problem, Ron, Ron. <laughs> yeah, come on. Um, you you were diagnosed more recently with yeah. a type of neurodivergence, right? We just looked up, yeah. we just looked up that phrase neurodivergence. So we're going to, we're going to sling it around like we know what we're talking about. Well, we didn't look <laughs> it up like we've never heard it before. We were curious yeah, what, but you're trying what falls under that umbrella and how much, how big of an umbrella is it? So that's why we're yeah. checking it out. Yeah, sure. No, I appreciate that. And it's becoming a more increasingly talked about term, yeah. but it's still one of those things that it is a little bit hard to understand, but yet it's so simple. And in, in the context of there's really just any number of things that qualify as neurodivergence, if they fall under the category of your brain operating outside of what we as a society kind of deem as quote unquote normal and what that is, I think is going to change as decades continue to pass. I think that there's going to be fewer and fewer of what we have seen as neurotypical because we do all have very uniquely functioning brains. And so for me, it comes down to a few diagnoses that I have uh, ADHD being the biggest one that really turned my life um, into a different framework in the last year and a half or so since finding that out. And I have a few others like OCD and, and some diagnoses that really have helped me understand my brain and kind of how it's wired. But at the end of the day, I really loved the term neurodivergent because it's a helpful context of just understanding that despite those specific diagnoses, whether you have access to them or you don't, or you want a diagnosis or you don't, it's just acknowledging that your brain does work a little differently and being able to validate and affirm that for yourself and give yourself whatever it is that you need rather than what you think you should do or should have and be able to operate under those confinements that yeah. society has previously kind of perpetuated. Yeah. Yeah. Ron, I cut you off a little bit. What were you, what were you saying with, uh, where were you going with that? With the phrase neurodivergence? Well, just question. you were saying that we were looking it up and, and uh, you were talking about how she recently had her that was yeah, diagnosed. I was going to ask you what led you to, to even seek diagnose, di- a diagnosis. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess this would start the conversation back a while ago because yeah. I just got that diagnosis about six months ago, but it certainly wasn't six months ago that it all started to be something that I was curious about. And seeking that diagnosis 
was initiated just over a year ago, officially, when I found myself in psychiatric urgent care, um, which is a story we'll kind of get into. But that was the culmination of really a decade's effort of trying to find answers and feeling like I had cultivated a lot of tools to help myself, but I knew there was still something that wasn't right. I had a bipolar two diagnosis and something about myself is that I I don't always know what I don't know, but I know it in, in terms of like, when I had that bipolar two diagnosis, there was like a conscious part of me that accepted it, Mm -hmm. but there was a subconscious part of it that now looking back, I know I didn't because I never sought medication for that. And I never saw any kind of specified bipolar two treatment. Mm -hmm. And so I think on a, on an inner level, I knew that wasn't fitting for me because usually once I know that something is right, I am the first to pursue it with everything. Mm. And so I think in a large way, I, I had some answers, but I knew they weren't the right ones. And so for about a decade, I was looking for answers. I had really poor mental health that again, I didn't know how bad it really was. I didn't realize how much I was not in control of what was happening and how much I was really struggling. We all just kind of know our realities as what they are. And it's not until sometimes that you're outside of those that you're really able to look back and say, oh, wow, like I, I was just kind of existing. I was just living in that state. And I wasn't really conscious of what was happening around me. And so what I mean by that is there were a lot of things in terms of my mental health that I was really struggling with. I was having, you know, um, a lot of arguments. I was having a lot of unhealthy relationships with not only romantic partners, but with family, with friends. I had a lot of friendships. I, I loved the people in my life, but there was a sense of me that was almost compartmentalized. There were, there were different parts of me that felt like, here's the successful version of me, here's the part of me that, you know, is struggling, and how to bring those different parts together. It was like, I would describe myself as being a chameleon. And now knowing that I have ADHD, it makes a lot of sense why that was happening. It was me masking, and I didn't even know that I was masking. A lot of the times, masking isn't conscious. It's really kind of a a subconscious effort to fit into your environment. And so I had the ability to look successful on the outside while deeply struggling on the inside. And I knew that there was a lot going wrong, but it wasn't until I became pregnant and I became a mom and I ended my career as a news reporter to give myself more time with my son and a lot of my identity on the outside started shifting that I was no longer able to mask what was on the inside. And it really forced me to either confront it or I wasn't going to be able to keep on living. It was just a matter of really 
not even dramatically life or death. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Appreciate that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I, I, um, hit a wall. I identify so much with what you just described and I, um, I, I, I struggled all through school. It was really, really difficult. Um, all from elementary through high school, through college and, and felt capable of doing difficult things academically, but couldn't pull it off and, mm. and could hang with, hang with, um, individuals. Like in college, I hung out with the smartest folks in my programs and, and, and got poor grades, like really bad grades. I went and looked at my GPA not that long ago. and was like, it was bad. It was like barely a two point something. It was like a 2.3. And I remember my mom and stepdad lived in Dallas and I went to school in Tulsa and was, and it was like a four hour drive or so. And I remember driving from, this was in the early, like, this was like 99, 2000, 2001, something like that. And I had not heard of a ADHD at this point in my life. I, I did. I thought it was the kids who had to take Ritalin at school and, exactly. and were like, um, I had judgments, right? I had like an, a, a certain idea of what that meant. And, and I remember driving um, f- to school one evening and hearing some talk radio show about ADHD and, and it was some academics talking about it. And I, and I started crying as I was driving. I was like, I've never heard myself described so well. And I called my mom when I got to, um, to my dorm and I said, I think I, you know, does this make sense to you? And she goes, yeah, probably. And there was, but there was no, nothing else happened. <laughs> I continued to struggle. I continued to, I barely made it through school. And, and I really understand that idea of what you're talking about with masking, where I was very, very good at appearing and sounding articulate and, and like I belong and can hang with whatever the social situation is go is happening. Uh, but on the in, uh, you know, the inside, just really feeling discombobulated. So um, how do you, if you're, so like, like Abigail was saying, yeah. <clears throat> sometimes this is not conscious or to a certain extent, it's not conscious. Like Ron, how do you feel like you still do that to some extent subconsciously? How do you address it when you catch yourself doing it or, or do you at all? Um, yes. Now, now that I'm a, now that, I mean, you know, to, I'll come back to this question, you know, years later, I, 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 the struggle got so bad that I sought a, um, a diagnosis and it took a long time to get that diagnosis. It wasn't easy. Um, and, and then there's, there's kind of, I think to, to get back to your question, Daniel, um, I don't know about you, Abby, but for me, like Abby said earlier, masking is it most of the time it's unconscious. Like you don't know you're doing it until until well later until you're maybe re- thinking about it like you know after the fact after the 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 night the morning after or the day after or whatever and and going oh my gosh I was like saying things and doing things that just weren't necessarily representative of who I totally am and uh, and I'll give you an ex- a good example like so old me had a story for every situation. I had like a, a, a you know, a, a center of the party, light of the party story that I would love to bring in no matter what was going on. And, and, you know, for a few years, my wife was like, you know, that story you told didn't make any sense in the, 
Like in the context? In the context. <laughs> and I was like, what That's are you talking embarrassing. about? It was super embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and it happened over and over again. And then I, I began to realize like, oh, oh my gosh, I bet I did this a lot. I bet this was like a thing of mine. And, and, and this was a way for me to seek um, safety and to feel like I was part of the group and um, like I, I needed some belonging and, and I needed to prove that I was smart and needed to prove that, you know, uh, that I had something to say, something uh, worthwhile to say. So now I think f for me is to just notice when my brain is like wanting attention or safety or um, some kind of comfort and, and just testing that, like, what am I going to get from this? If I bring this up, it's so interesting to hear and learn a little bit more about psychology, like the term persona, you know, often in art it is that, that term persona, part of our psyche that presents itself so as to get along with the public, with, with people mm. outside. It's not a negative thing. It can turn negative if you spend too much time in that persona or if that persona is not aligned with the rest of you, you know. But it's interesting to hear this term masking. I mean, I've heard that term before, but here you both speak to it a little bit because I keep thinking, oh, that's our persona or that's how does that relate to our persona? You know, it's it it's like an overactivation of, of a persona. It's like a mismatched mm -hmm. persona or a persona that becomes, yeah. instead of a way to get along with um, people outside of ourselves, it becomes a protective me mechanism, you know? And it's just very interesting to, to like take these terms that are neuroses, you know, or that are ways that we are behaving that are not healthy are not helpful to us that we we probably should put that coping mechanism down you know and maybe we don't need it anymore um and then just just overlay them with psychological terms you know like persona like ego like our shadow you know what i mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting because obviously first impressions are important we all interpret first impressions and there's a part of our human psyche that just is going to do that regardless. But there's this element of persona of where we're trying to make an impression that matches how we interpret ourselves on the inside and trying to get that as close as possible. But then when masking comes into our persona, it's being able to show the part of us. That's the thing about masking. I don't know about you, Ron, but for me, it's not that I was ever being fake. Like what I was showing my persona as being was part of me that didn't exist. It was bringing out a color that was within me very much, but overemphasizing it in a way that I felt like would be more accepted in that environment or just naturally as almost a survival instinct yeah. would be more accepted in that environment. So if I'm hanging out with, you know, my peers, I'm going to try to act like I'm funny. And if I'm hanging out with people who are older, I'm going to really try to bring out that wisdom in myself and show that I'm mature. And these are all things that I would like to believe are inside of me, yeah. but it's trying to put like your best face forward mm -hmm. because you're trying to almost cover up what's underneath that you're so scared of being seen as. Yeah. And can you put some words to that, whatever you would be trying to cover up? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, scared, annoying that I, that's a big one that growing up for a lot of neurodivergent people, I think is a big trigger word because we're just oftentimes too much 
too soon. And so it's kind of trying to chill that back a little bit and come across a little bit more together. Where if I just let myself go, you're going to be getting parts of me that are just as real, but just a lot less organized and a lot less clean and easy to digest. And so it's really trying to cover up those parts of me that are vulnerable, that are a little bit like childlike, immature, the parts that don't always understand the context of the conversation that you're having, but I don't want to sound stupid and ask, you know, those kinds of things. So like, are there some areas I would imagine, you know, parenting would be one of these areas or quality time with your son. Um, but are there other areas where those parts are allowed to live and be very free? It's mm. a good question. Yeah, great question. Uh, nowadays, I would like to say yes. So it's hard. It's not always super easy, but I just recently joined theater for the first time wow. in my life. Awesome. I had never done it before. I'm 29 and I decided to audition back in the fall and, and I did my first show. It just wrapped up and nice. I was finding parts of myself coming out through that, that I hadn't remembered were in there for a very long time. Those parts mm -hmm. of us that are like natural, you know, players and just love to explore. And we would do this thing um, once we knew our lines really well. And it was before a performance, we have this night where we would go through our lines in like different accents, mm -hmm. or we would do different things to just basically know that we still had our lines down, but we didn't need to like be in our character. And I was being so goofy, like the sides of me that hardly anyone sees anymore, the, the kind of me that like only my husband sees at one in the morning when I'm like wired from tired. <laughs> and so like those kinds of parts that I have hidden down so deep, but what was unique about that environment was these people I was with multiple times a week for like a span of three months. And so all of that like discomfort and awkwardness of being around strangers in maybe the first few weeks just dissipated. And that's a space where I really found those parts of me coming out that I hadn't seen in a long time. And another would be just to give another example. The other day I was walking in the woods, something I loved doing when I was younger. And I used to have the biggest imagination and it didn't go away. I, I know a lot of kids have imaginations, but I still had it easily into my early twenties. And it's only been within the last few years that I have felt a notable difference in my imagination. And, and you mentioned my son, sometimes playing with him is really where I've noticed, oh, wow, it's not quite what it used to be because I'm really having to force myself to get on his level, which comes for him so naturally. And so I'm walking in the woods and I can cognitively imagine all the things I would have done as a child, like imagining I'm walking into some secret door because there was like this tree that was arched like a little doorway. And I was like, when I was younger, I would have for sure pretended that that was like a walkway into like a Narnia land or something like that. And just like, I can, I can imagine what my imagination would have done, but there was a disconnect in my being able to do that and to actually like step into that part of me. Mm. But little things like finding those little bright red berries that grow on the trees this time of year and like grabbing those and like being curious about what are these, what's inside of these. So I didn't have my phone on me, but when I got back, I Googled, what are those bright red berries? Oh, they're huckleberries. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that I have such a natural curiosity that I don't always pursue anymore because I don't see the value always in knowledge of such like simple, silly things. 
but getting back to that natural curiosity and giving myself the chance to like open it up and look inside so that I knew when I Googled, oh, it has two to six seeds. So like that was helpful information. And like just the most random things that to me are so fascinating to somebody else, they might not be, but that's really allowing that like inner child to come out and play and explore and realize that the world isn't as mundane as we sometimes think it is. It's only as mundane as you allow it to be. Yeah, there's some, <clears throat> excuse me, some sensitivities that children have that I, as I start to uh, gain a little bit more of an understanding of how the brain works just a little bit, um, there's actually, as I understand it, reasons why we're more imaginative when we're young. And sometimes I think, oh, well, we give ourselves shit for growing up and, and not being imaginative anymore, but our brains also work differently, like uh, that that term theta wave, you know? So, <clean> and I don't really understand brain, brain waves uh, very well, but the, apparently there's a theta wave experience that we are, that you are in when you're coming in and out of sleep as an adult, but that you're in all the time as a kid. And yeah. so you actually are able to experience things that aren't there, like imaginary friends, or like I'm having tea with all of my imaginary friends and it's real tea time. Like the brain yeah. at that age, as you know, apparently is actually experiencing those things as real. And so, you know, I can tell like, that with my daughter in the morning when she gets up and tells me about her dreams. It's, it's like, it's like telling me, about the day before for her like it is so real for her it's it's a it's a morning ritual that we go through every single day of her That's excitingly awesome. excitedly telling me about her dream state yeah yeah and even as you get older your dreams get less vivid and interesting like they just become like oh I was dreaming I was at work yesterday and I forgot my pants or like something so stupid but like when you're younger you're like oh, I dreamt that I was a fairy in a pink land where the air was bubblegum and like just the most random things that like <laughs> mm -hmm. make no sense. But then you can bring that even into your real life, like what you were just saying, Daniel, of like sitting around having tea with imaginary friends and like truly almost experiencing that connection of friendship. Whereas as an adult, if you were sitting there doing it, not only would you not be fulfilling like your connection bucket, but you would probably be like pulling from it. Cause you're like, this is so sad. I have no friends. Like there's just like such a disconnect of how those experiences play based off of what you were saying, which I also don't know a ton about, but yeah. those brain waves of, are you in a meditative state? Are you in like a stress state? What are your, what is your brain telling you about what you're doing in that moment? Yeah. And I, th I just am curious about how much of that we can recover uh, as an adult and how much of that is due, how much of, by that I mean the loss of imagination, the loss of accessibility to our imagination, um, and how much of that is due to the, just the natural, you know, brain evolution of a life? How much is it due to our society maybe, you know, and I know this is changing, but maybe not supporting or encouraging that as much? And how much is it, how much can we recover? How much can we choose to uh, spend time in that and cultivate that ability to uh, believe, you know, um, and yeah. believe in things that aren't, that aren't what we believe now? How can I change my beliefs? Can I make, you know, part of the inner yeah. world, in my opinion, is our beliefs, you know, and 
<clears throat> when I think about an inner world actually manifest, I think of the beliefs that we have as the buildings that are there. You know, these have been built over time and they can be deconstructed and they can be reconstructed. And which ones are, are am I able to, and do I have time to deconstruct and to, and can I build a new belief system? And what does that? And uh, one of the answers that I came up with is that, oh, wow, when someone has a traumatic experience, that affects their beliefs because they now believe this thing because of an experience in the past. And maybe that's not the best thing to, to believe. Like if you um, get hit by a car or something, or almost get hit by a car, you know, maybe you'll have, you're going to after that have an extreme sensitivity to vehicles, right? That's probably a good thing. But when those become too much, where you don't need to be that sensitive to something. And then I thought, what else creates and changes our beliefs? Repetition of something, you know, the, the saying it, you know, the living it. And so just curious around that, you know, around that ability to build and recognize and deconstruct our beliefs and how much that might help our life if we can do that. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of yeah. sense. I love that. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the repetition part is the, is the thing that I have to come to. I, actually, this is funny. So, um, I was talking to a person in a 12 step program the other day and they were talking about, um, catching themselves, make poor decisions. And so they bought a clicker, like, you know, those like little counters that, uh, that they have at like, you know, arenas to count people coming into a space. And he goes, I bought one to keep with me in the car to click every time I reached for my phone so that I would not reach for my phone while I was driving. Whoa. And I would also keep it on me when I would go to the kitchen to eat mindlessly. And he says it took about a week and it shocked him how high the number was on a given drive or, a great uh, idea. or in the kitchen. Yeah. And then he goes, it, it, he goes, it broke me of both of those things. And, and then he goes, I decided to take it towards thoughts of resentment or fear or bitterness or self, uh, self judgment, uh, anything where those thoughts that had previously plagued him, um, he just decided to start doing it. And he goes, the number was sky high at the beginning. <laughs> he goes, he wasn't trying to stop the thoughts. He was just trying to count the thoughts as it was going on. Yeah. And I, and I was listening to him, I'm like, well, show me where to buy one of those things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, ready to do it. I'm ready to do it. Cause we know, we know that over time, you know, the neural pathways become solidified and strong with any of those habits. But as we can notice when they're happening, I love the phrase and I've used it a lot. We talked about this a little bit with David Howitt last time, um, who was our previous guest, um, to non-judgmentally observe our thoughts and what's going yeah. through our mind and then to just notice that it's going on notice he you know he described it as observing clouds passing through the sky and and i the way that i can um get out of the judgment thought when my mind around certain ideas is to go oh there i am trying to keep myself safe or feel good yeah and okay mm -hmm. all right yeah, from what I, man, one of the best things that a parent can give a child, as I, uh, I learned this lesson about a year and a half ago, is non, 
judgmental, non-critical, observational presence, you know? Yes. And I'm there, I'm watching, you know, I'm saying there's, if something goes wrong, but there's space. And I had a romantic partner who was giving me this and I had never experienced it. And I was like, why do I like this so much? You know, and that like, <laughs> desire to fill, fill the world, the conversation with, or fill the, the time together with conversation slowly went down because I, she didn't have that impulse to talk. She didn't need to talk mindlessly. And then that caused me to be like, well, it's uncomfortable, but also like, I like this. And then we just, and then I asked her one day, I was like, do you feel like you need to talk when you're quiet? She goes, no. She was just so present and at peace. And I was like, and I went to the therapist I was seeing, I was like, this lady's doing this thing and I like it, but I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and she said that she goes, the best thing a parent can give, i.e. one person can give another yeah. person, you know? And I was like, oh, I never had that, you know? Like, do you wow. do you carry that now yourself, Daniel, into into relationships that you're in, oh, whether totally. it's romantic or otherwise, just the just that space? Yeah, man, because because it's hard to be myself when I'm yapping. You know, that's powerful. I, I abandon instantly abandon parts of myself when I start talking, and part of that's because I need to update my language and am. You know, but, but yeah. What do you mean you by know? update your language? Well, you know, like when I say it's hard to be uh, myself when I'm talking, that's usually because I'm saying things that I'm not really interested in or are <laughs> masking or yeah. I'm, my, it's a person, it's an old persona that, you know, needs just to be updated, you know? And like right now, I don't feel like I'm not being myself because I'm talking or we're having a conversation. This is a very aligned conversation, but not all conversation yeah. is of this quality. And, and I don't need to participate in those conversations if they're not, if they're not serving the person and the moment and myself, it's like, just bail, be quiet, you know, see what happens. Absolutely. It's like what Ron was saying just a little bit ago about his go-to party story. We so often have these things that we just, Say, that we just accept it as truth and all of a sudden they come out and you're like and it's not until somebody and I love these people I'm not always this person and I'm trying to be more this person is like the people who are like let me question that for a second let me let's just like rewind what do you mean by what you just said because you don't always consciously think about what it is that you said but you had formulated that verbiage long ago totally. in alignment with a belief that you no longer totally. hold and so like what you said about updating your beliefs and your language like doing that is so important and it's not just in the repetition of actions but in your thoughts and really assessing those and asking yourself do I still believe what I think I believed or yeah. has this changed yeah. but my consciousness hasn't caught up with it I've got a uh, I've got a client he won't he won't mind me saying this because we've, we've spoken about it I have a client I'm a coach too uh and and I think right now at least right now all of my clients have ADHD and or on the spectrum or identify with it in somewhere in there yeah and and I recently saw the band Nine Inch Nails in concert <clears throat> great concert loved it had a good time and my client goes, oh, I love this band. Did you know his wife is deaf and that she's never heard his music? Hmm. And, wow. and I could tell this was a song that, or this was a, a story he had told a few times, because this is like, it was on the ready. It came out 
Did it fit the context of what you were all you were hanging out? I go. About? <laughs> I go. Wait a second. His wife makes music with him, and he goes, "Do I believe this story that I've been telling?" for years <laughs> and he as we're talking goes over to google and starts searching up and there's no record of this idea and it somewhere it had entered into his mind and had just become so fun this really fun idea in the sense that like yeah. a deaf woman is married to you know a very famous musician rock musician and that they have this like secret part of their lives essentially because of this inability to hear and he goes, he goes, God, what else have I been saying that is not, uh, is not necessarily true. <laughs> you know, the movie it made I, me think about it myself. I'm like, what else have I been yeah. saying? <laughs> yeah. It's like that Ron and I recently watched that movie. Uh, I heart Huckabees. Have you ever seen that mo movie? Abigail? I haven't. Oh, fuck. It's Watch worth it. Watching. It's worth it's watching. so good. So you, you'll love it. You'll love it. Well, in that movie, Jude Law's character, is a really like fake high high mask persona lives entirely through that and then basically his interaction with one of the other characters causes dustin hoffman and um who's the lady who plays dustin hoffman's wife in that she's that old that Lily comedian. yeah little yeah. she they're great they're this super goofy old couple who are hired to metaphysically existential detectives, existential detectives. There you go. And they, they like watch you and they'll spy on you and they'll pick through your garbage and they'll really get to know you. And then they'll break your ass down. Oh, it's awesome. Well, they do that to Jude law and Jude law wants none of it, but he's like, I see you guys. I'll play the game. Long story short, they recorded this one Shania Twain tuna fish, anecdote that he tells and they recorded him every time he told it and when his character starts to really fall apart in this really great way they the clicker that makes his psyche just crumble is they play this repet this tape that has all of the times he's told this story over and over and he hearing himself and seeing himself in this light he gets so repulsed by what he did that he like throws up in his mouth and his he just falls apart and then he's like yeah i'm a piece of shit like i just and he gets starts getting real with himself but it's around hearing him tell stories you know if we all heard that thing we say over and over we mainline that we tell that story like 30 times in the last two weeks ah oh, dude it would be like oh you don't want to ever tell that story again my my dad was a was was good at that <laughs> retelling stories over and over again and i gotta say i probably do the same thing in fact if my wife is around or my kids are around i'm like don't tell the story again no matter who who is new <laughs> to, to me that's like, see, like that's save really my family <laughs> yeah 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 but i i just that 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 idea of becoming conscious of the things we say and questioning whether or not we believe them. There's a, there's a guy who teaches uh, just in the world, he's a very famous psychologist. And he, he said one of the reasons that, one of the pivotal parts of his growth was when he was in his mid twenties in college. And all of a sudden he couldn't speak something he didn't believe. Like it just, something in his brain just tweaked. And it was like, he couldn't get it out. And all of a sudden he just wasn't saying anything. He's like, I couldn't say anything 
that I didn't believe. I started questioning it and then it just became, no, I don't believe that. So I can't say it. And his brain just wouldn't let him do it. And then what happened was he started to find out what he did say. And then everything that came out of his mouth, he actually believed. And I thought, whoa, if we could all go through that. Yeah. What a gift. What a gift. I mean, it would probably be scary as hell. <laughs> it was like the inability to not speak the truth. Like, cause there, cause there's a little, a tinge of every part of our sentence with new situations and new places that we're throwing a curveball on our sentences to, to be liked and to feel like we belong. I'm not saying we're all liars, but there's like, certainly this, like, you know, it's, we probably all are liars, <laughs> not, not for, not to, not to, um, intentionally dupe people, right. Not to like put harm in the world, but to be liked and to be accepted. How has some of your work or understanding or awareness around that gone, Abigail? So my dog is barking in the background. So bear with me. We just got a delivery, but oh. I would find it super fascinating to what you were just saying about that movie hear the twist of stories that we tell, like exactly what you're saying of how we would even bring out, even if it was true, but what increments of truth are we bringing out to different people totally. to psychoanalyze? Like, why did I share that piece with hmm. this person, yeah. but not with this person? And this piece was important within the context of this conversation. And like, what pieces of me am I bringing up to these different people and why, like, what am I hoping to get out of these conversations for why I'm bringing That's out these awesome. different aspects? That gives me chills. What That's a good, good idea, you know, because you I, you a... I bet you just add facts that I bet if we really got a good dose of what you just said, I bet there's like, in some cases, the story would just be different. Totally. Yeah. And I, it makes me want to do two things. One is to to write down stories that I've said over and over again in a yeah. journal to retire them. Like <laughs> goodbye, old fellows. You've yeah. been so, you've been That's so awesome. faithful to me. <laughs> Adios. I'll bring you out of the vault if I absolutely I'll pass feel this it. on to my kids. Dude, that's a good call. But yeah, I, it's but I be like cleaning that, clutter. It is. And I, and, and I, another, uh, an urge popped up as you guys were, as you're describing that, Abby, which was, well, how will I be interesting to people? That was like this fear of like, how will I continue to get attention? And, and the very next thought was, oh, ask questions about people and stop trying to tell us great stories and just ask them about themselves and get curious. I'm curious about something yeah. from just a little moment ago, Ron, when you asked Daniel, when he was saying that about updating his language, yeah, and you said, What do you mean by that? Did you 100% not know? Were you asking more within the context of like trying to make sure that it was stated in more clear terms? Because I feel like that's such a perfect example of just like authentically asking what both maybe you do know, but recognizing you don't know every single thing a person means and so giving them that opportunity to go deeper and then also like when we were talking earlier about like the masks that we wear putting aside your ego and being like I don't have to act like I know everything not that that's even always a conscious thing that we do but allowing yourself to be curious and confident at the same time of like I'm an intelligent person who can ask questions that maybe there will be some listener who's like well of course that's what this means but 
allowing yourself to ask questions not only will expand your horizons and change your beliefs like what we've been talking about, but sometimes you're doing that other person such a favor by challenging theirs and really allowing them to go deeper into what they mean by that verbiage as well. It's like, it's such a service to both of you. And yet so many people shy away from that because of the fear of not coming across as yeah. like organized and as intelligent right. as sometimes we try to. Well, yeah, sorry, Ron. That was yeah, a uh, the answer is... Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I uh, didn't know what he meant. And I have spent a lot of time in my life pretending like I knew what people were talking about yeah. because I wanted to sound intelligent and wanted to feel confident. And, um, and so when I was hearing him talk about that, I was genuinely curious, like, what do you mean by updating your language? Daniel and I are very close. We've, we've been friends for a decade. We talk most days and we live in separate cities. Um, we probably know as much about each other's lives as uh, friends can in a lot of ways, I'd say. And, and we have a shared curiosity in the agents of change in inwardly and outwardly. And part of that curiosity means that we have to ask a lot of you know, defining, deepening questions. And when he comes up with something like that, like, I mean, I am curious. I am really curious about yeah. what, what he's good at. The other part of the answer I'm going to steal for you, Ron, uh, is that before we do a, a, one of these episodes, every time we have a little meeting about how we want to get better at the craft of conversation, you know? And, um, wow. and today his, you know, I gave a thing and he gave a thing and he said, I want to ask more questions of you, Daniel, you do a really good job of that with me. And, you know, it's really nice to see, you know, Ron's natural curiosity. Also him, him be like, you know what? I do have a natural, he has a, an insatiable curiosity. It's awesome. One of the things that makes him a really good fiction writer is because he deep dives and it gets so interested in the minutiae, the world that he's writing in, that he'll go and research this history of the land in, in these specific ways wow. and learn about the, the little parts of, of what people are doing. Um, but uh, he also can can be like, you know what, I'm not engaging that curiosity enough. I need to work on that more. And I appreciate that about him too. Yeah, that is so cool. I love that. Thanks for sharing that. And like, that was even too, an example of me I was wondering that when you asked that, like right away, it came to my mind and I didn't, of course, ask, but through the kind of evolution of this conversation, it's just really cool to see how you guys are so open to exploring like the little nuances, like you have this path, but it's genuinely fun to have conversations with people who go off on little like side trails and then are like, oh, what's this over here? Let's go explore that. And yet there's such a rhythm to it, but at the exact same time, like a genuine, just almost childlike curiosity of, I don't know what this day or this conversation or this situation is going to lead to, but I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to allow myself to just be within it. Well, and that happens more naturally, right? I know you've had a lot of conversations, but you're very well-spoken, Abigail. And, um, you are versed in in the things that you choose to speak about. And if you're not, are you at least, if you're not versed in something, I'm not, I don't get the feeling that you're like putting on a, a air of knowing more than you do. And, and that's something that why we started this, you know, the very beginning, I, why it was my, my interest in it was I want to get better at 
articulating things that I care about. And I want to get better at being able to express um, myself clearly. And if we have something that's for posterity and it's with someone who maybe knows more about something than we do, the stakes are just a little higher. And that little resistance, that little elevated stakes has worked. And now we are slowly becoming better speakers and conversationalists and not just in this situation, but this affects every moment. This, this probably affects Ron, the way we talk to ourselves. Oh yeah, clearly it definitely does for sure. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Abby, what, um, what do you wish people knew more about neuro, like neurodivergence? Yeah, that's a good question. I, let me think about that. So neurodivergence is an interesting concept in the sense that like what we were talking about from the very beginning, our brains are what they are. Our thoughts, you know, they, if we have them, they are what they are. Of course we can change them, but like as they're happening, we don't always have the conscious understanding of our brains. Like you, whether you're fully accepting a label like ADHD or not, your brain's functioning is effectively the same, whether you've gotten that diagnosis or you haven't. So like when I was a nine, 10, 11 year old girl being told in every parent teacher conference that I talked too much in class. And yeah. it seemed like, you know, a me issue of, I just needed to be the center of attention. I didn't have a filter. I didn't have, you know, all these, these things that were really at that time frame, as more of like a moral issue. Looking back, I'm able to say, oh, wow, I had hyperactivity of the brain and impulsivity where I couldn't stop talking. Like yeah. there was a lot at play there that I didn't understand, but it was happening regardless. And a lot of the times with neurodivergence, it's not though that like we don't understand these things are happening. We might not know exactly the core of why, but we're sometimes hyper aware of like our annoyance or our <laughs> propensity to like talk yeah. too much or our awkwardness and our inability to like articulate ourselves accurately. What you were just saying, Daniel, I relate to so much. And it's, it's really nice of you to say that I can articulate myself well, because there are times when I for sure haven't, I, I know exactly what you meant, Ron, when you said, your wife was like, that story didn't really make sense because our brains, like they work so differently. It's like, there are times when we think it makes sense within the context of like yeah. the trains that are going through our brain. And we didn't share every single one of those tracks. And so it didn't make sense. I like how you put that. We can like feel it, you know, we can, we're not, we're not always as consciously aware, but we're aware at the very least subconsciously that something is off. Mm -hmm. And when I was in the psychiatric urgent care about a year ago, I was there because I was experiencing really extreme rejection sensitive dysphoria, which is really commonly associated with ADHD, especially, but also a lot of neurodivergences like autism. And the, the thing that had triggered that was actually, I had started a podcast with an individual who was going through her own slew of personal issues and had to stop, but 
didn't really explain to me why they were stopping. They just kind of ghosted and our shows were falling behind. And I just felt like, you know, the, the fraud inside of me, that like imposter syndrome was like, they jumped ship because they saw something in me like going down and they were, they saw that before I could, and it must've been in there. Like there's this subconscious fear that like, I am the problem. And when I was there, I was talking to the psychiatrist about like my high school experience. We were unraveling kind of all the different things. And I was saying like, you know, I was homecoming queen, but nobody liked me. The only reason I won homecoming queen is because I was nice to the younger classmen, the freshmen through juniors, the people in my class hated me. I was despised. I, I was, they all got up and left in the middle of the, the event. I was like, and it wasn't until that moment when I was kind of sharing some of these interpretations, when he stopped me and he was like, would they say the same thing? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you keep putting kind of in the voice of other people, what their interpretations of you are. How do you know they would have said that? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know. It's just like that subconscious feeling, I guess, of like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't liked. I was always awkward. I was always too much. They would laugh at me. And although there might be truth in that, there absolutely might be. There's also truth in the fact that I don't know what those interpretations are. And I guess this is a long way of saying, like, if there was anything people should know about neurodivergence is that like we are just human we just are like people who have something on the inside that we don't always have the ability to come across as accurately as what it is internally and when it comes to neurodivergence just giving people more than one chance to tell you who they are there's a common notion these days and I understand where it comes from especially with like trauma and narcissism where it's like if someone shows you who they are believe it and I understand that like especially if someone is harmful or rude or you know they've really done something there's something to be said about not giving people more than one chance to hurt you but we live in this world where it's we don't give enough of people chances to open our eyes and be curious that we're all unique individuals. Like we literally, you might be talking to someone who you've never met anyone else like before. And our brain's natural inclination is to try to put within a scope of who this person is very quickly, those first impression kind of things. And so you're looking at someone and you're like, oh, she has blonde hair, like she's this or they're that. And you're putting them within a category or a box. And the thing about neurodivergence is it's, it's especially true that that's not always going to be the case. Like how someone is coming across is not necessarily what they are on the inside. And so not only putting your preconceived notions to the side, but truly giving people a chance, other humans a chance to not only be who they are and like interpret that from a fresh new perspective, but to challenge them and ask them questions about themselves and really be curious because we are all so different. We're all so neurodiverse. Be really open to the fact that like there are people out there who might be completely different than what you've ever experienced before. And it might just be like the, the thing you didn't even realize you needed in your life. Yeah. It it reminds me quite a bit. It was really well 
said in, in a, of like a, a value of mine, I call it the shit sandwich value. And it's just like, <laughs> we're all eating a shit sandwich. And I'm not a, I'm not a cynical person at all. At yeah. all. You know, so this comes from a place mm. of like love and just <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel cynical at all. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't categorize you as cynical. Um, but I do believe we're all carrying around a nice, juicy, steamy shit sandwich in our pocket that we have to eat every day, you know, and maybe, yeah. maybe, um, you know, maybe some are, are definitely some are a lot worse than others, but to be kinder than we think we should be to everyone, because they're, they're probably suffering something that is pretty intense. There's even numbers around this, like one in five people are experiencing some sort of really serious health problem, which means that everybody has someone close to them who's experiencing a really intense health problem. So like that right there, you know, is, is like going to inspire compassion, but we don't know that when we're talking to someone, they look fine, you know, like you were saying, and I, I know you're talking about yeah. something a little bit different because you're talking about how it pertains to how their brain works, you know, but that yeah. is, I can put in the same category. Like if your brain works differently than mine, then we speak different languages to some extent, which means, right. and when I meet someone who I speak a different language, I'm so much more soft to them in their approach. I think almost everyone is because there's respect there. There's, there's distance. That word respect, and part of it, the suffix is spectacle, you know, it has to do with eyes. There's a little space to look and observe someone, you know, because you don't really know what's going on. And it's like, we all could just imagine that we speak different languages to some extent that would, I think, give a little more space and a little room for some of our compassion and kindness, you know, to come in. Is that, wow. does that relate to what you're saying? Do you feel like? Yes. Thank you for saying that. You just put that all into context that I feel like was exactly what I'm trying to say just mm. giving people a little bit more of a chance to share with you their language their culture yeah. their way of seeing the world and and understanding that we don't always understand and that that's okay but leading with that place of compassion it's huge well and the neurodivergent word you know that Ron and I were were trying to understand a little bit more about because I just always thought it just applied to uh, autism and Asperger's. I didn't know it applied mm -hmm. to HD until ADHD until I started looking at your stuff. And I didn't because mm -hmm. I was like, oh, she's neurodivergent, but she talks about ADHD. And then that made me realize, whoa, Ronald is neurodivergent because he's he, yeah. he got diagnosed with ADHD. It's like okay, and now and now these five or six or more other terms that we didn't even know what they meant. Ron was laughing. He was like, this one means this and this means that. We were like, Dude, we didn't even know this existed. You know, and then you think, okay, well, if everyone is experiencing one of these to some extent, yeah. if most people are, if many people are, then maybe I got to give people a little more space because their brain is fucking working very differently. I, I didn't mean to cut you off, Ron. Yeah. It sounded like you were going to say something. Well, I was thinking about this this magical night. I met um, a person walking around my neighborhood. And uh, have you guys ever heard someone whistle like it's an instrument? Like they're so good at whistling, it, they should be on a stage whistling and, you know, yeah, as part of a ensemble. I heard a woman whistling in, in my neighborhood and I, and we were walking parallel on either side of the street and I live in downtown Portland. I mean, it's, it's, um, you don't talk to people on the street all the time. <laughs> like it happens occasionally, but especially at night, but she was whistling so well that I had to say something. And so I like yelled across the street. I had a, I have like a, a, a very fluffy, cute, uh, 
golden doodles, kind of disarming looking animal. And I go, Hey, you're really good at whistling. <laughs> she turns mm-hmm. back. She goes, hi, do you like music? I go, <laughs> yes. <laughs> she comes straight over to me. She introduces herself. The next thing she says is I'm neurodivergent. I have Asperger's. I'm a musician. Aww. I'm a drummer and I love music. I go, amazing. I love music too. She goes, can I see your phone? <laughs> I go, yes. <laughs> I, hand her, I have locked my phone. I hand it to her and she just goes straight to Spotify and she looks herself up on Spotify and starts to subscribe me to her playlists. <laughs> and they are yeah, such so strong playlists. They are so good that I listen to them probably three to five days a week. Whoa. And <laughs> that's great, man. <laughs> that's wow. so cool. And I, I don't know, I forgot her name. I don't know who she is, but she she produces a lot of playlists. And and huh. and the funny thing is because she's um on the spectrum, it, you know, sometimes the playlist will be like eight songs, but it'll be like eight versions of the like 12 versions of the same song. That's and then, cool. Like yeah and like she there's this there's a thing in in uh in autism and in adhd where you will want to listen to the same song over and over again and yeah. like you can't get yeah. enough of it um and, and it's like it's very clear in some of her playlists that it's like she's so into it i've never you, heard so many versions of blue oyster cults uh don't fear the reaper i've been listening to blind melons no rain there's a bunch of uh versions of that song highly recommend because they are soulful and fucking awesome and i kind of i had it's funny that you said that because i had a little section this is the thing where i think neuro neurodivergent uh people are experiencing neurodivergence and the little the shit they get up to sometimes just like very unique and very good ideas that maybe we wouldn't allow ourselves to do because of some stigma but i i experienced this because i had like three or four versions of that song blind melon song in a row on a playlist and i suddenly thought that's weird you should not do that you should break that up you should take some of those out it's like now your friend's like fuck that make a playlist about that like lean into yeah. it yeah and share it with strangers on the street like i love that strong man I actually um um have started to help people with autism in uh through through a company here in town and by just hanging out with them and one of the things that i've enjoyed getting to know them is that um they don't have a filter on on what they're feeling and if they're fearful or if they're uncomfortable they'll just say it and Mm -hmm. and we bury that stuff down and bottle it up and and it comes out in in poor places and poor circumstances later, right? It's like in our relationships or with our kids or whatever it is. And they'll just look at you. I'm uncomfortable or I'm really excited about this thing. and I got to share it with you. And I, I find yeah. it actually to be really charming. Like I, I want to be more like that. I want to yeah. be more honest about what my nervous system and my body is feeling in a given time. You should Ron. Dude, you, you, <laughs> I'm serious, man. You, cause you, you have the grace to do that without coming off like a dick, you know, or, yeah. or you know what I mean? Like you can do that. Yeah. And how freeing and affirming is that to so many people around when you start to, to sense that almost like permission to do the same yourself. I, one of the, the things I just remember so vividly when I was in college, we would ride buses back and forth to the buildings. And there was this person who I would see quite often on one of the buses. 
And every time I would, he would be singing just a beautiful voice, very similar situation to what you're saying of just like, I, and, and to be fair, and this isn't even a joke, like I don't have a good sense of what a good voice is. So there might have been people who are like, why is this person singing? Like, I cannot wait to get off this bus. But to me, every single time, and I still think about this person to this day of like, that is a dream come true to be so unapologetically you that you're doing it regardless of who's around you. And that's the endearingness that I'm hearing of what you're saying about so many people with autism. And I feel like instead we have stifled that. We have tried to make them fit into these boxes and, and hide themselves from the spaces where in reality they should be shining and being like a North light to the people around them of like, this is what (laughs) you can do and what you should have permission to do and be and how much more, our world would just benefit from that. If like, sure, if you had been busy and you didn't have time to tell her about her with like, fine, but you probably made that person feel so good in that moment. And like allowing people to talk about their special interests and share the things that light them up inside and giving other people permission to do the same. That's a world that I want to be a part of. And I think so many other people do too. And that's a world where, neurodivergent people, all diversities of neurotypes are able to honor themselves and really kind of shine when they shine and not feel like they need to put on that mask and meet the bar where they don't. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. How many fun little, little surprising and delightful ways are there of being and acting in this, in this such a complex varied world that that we're, that we're missing that we just haven't thought of you know like a good example is just that little clicker idea that your guy said you know oh, ron yeah. like that's just a nice little you know a lot of people these days call them hacks but but maybe not a hack so we can be better but how about a how about a little hack that is just what you're hacking is a little more joy or a little more unique cultivated curated experience in this life mm-hmm. you know like yeah. I love when, and that's one of the great things about, I think, reels and shorts, these little videos is that you can, people do stuff like that on there because they want to show this funny, weird little thing that they did, you know, yeah. that crazy guy, I don't know anything about him, but Mr. Beast, I just learned about this guy. He, I don't know if I'm not a fan, nothing like that, but he has a curiosity where he'll go, what if I just counted for 24 hours and then made a video out of it? What if I give somebody a, a, $5,000. What if I tip a, a, a pizza guy $10,000? What will happen? You know, just being playful, you know? And so one thing that I'm curious about is like, what if I was challenged? Which, what if each one of us was challenged to look at our life, take a day and just come up with little ways that we can have fun with? I have, I have a challenge for you, Daniel. We have. Yeah. And, and the challenge okay. is, so is for you to dance in public. <laughs> I see cuz you're you good like at dancing dance, you're good at dancing you talked about that of wanting to dance like on a like like when you're waiting for something on the side of a street or something and i mean what if next time you were in the line at the post office or the line <laughs> at the grocery store and a song comes on music playing in the grocery store you just decide to like cut a rug a little bit well a couple things to that can yeah. i can i can i respond like only Wait. if you say yes, I'm gonna do that. 
Well, I, I already do that. I do. Do you? I, when, okay, to the extent where you're like, well, no. I'm really happy that I'm doing this. Hold on. couple things. Okay. I, when I shop, I dance. And so I'm always like tapping my, I'm like tapping my, my, my leg. I'm, I'm dancing to the music that, that's playing in the store and people make comments on it all the time. It's one little way I like to get my inner world out. But what you're talking about is like crank that up, you know, and yeah. have a moment. And I completely agree. I wish Abigail and Ron that we lived in a world where that was so much more normal. I don't think that I can be one of the people to make it more normal by myself. This is the second thing. When I was dating this dancer, she was a professional blues and swing and Latin dancer. And I would assist and teach with her all over the world. We would travel a lot. It was a very cool lifestyle. She was neurodivergent, uh, Asperger's. And because of that, she got really good at dancing because she just would screw into stuff in a, in a really specific way that worked. Well, her theory was dance anywhere, anytime. Well, her having that, allowed me to do that too. And I've challenged myself all the time. Well, one day we were fucking traveling through so like in like Eastern Washington. And it was like two in the morning. We we're driving. We need to get gas. We stopped at this really redneck. I don't know. It's not a very good term, but like it was a rough gas station. And I, they, these two dudes might as well have been in what's the What's that old um, general shirt? What's the orange hot rod from Dukes of Hazard way Dukes back Hazzard. in the day? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know that yeah. car with the big Confederate yeah. flag on them? Yeah. In my mind, the dudes that pulled up were driving that car. They weren't, but they were driving that car. <laughs> and me and her, she goes, there was a good song playing at the gas station, weirdly. And it was a good West Coast swing dance or swing song. And she was like, you want a West Coast to this? I was like, hell yeah. And so we were dancing and we were even switch swapping. It's called a switch dance where you switch the lead and the follow. So I'm following a lot of this and leading, which is even more like weird for, you know, people who are not accustomed to that type of thing to see. And these fucking people after the song, they, we knew they were watching. They like, go, 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 go. The fucking car was like right next to us. And they looked at us and they go, and I was like, oh my God, what's, what's going to happen? They go, you just made our day. That was awesome. Do more. And then they drove off. <laughs> I feel like 99% of amazing. the population would say the same thing. Like yeah. people yeah. are delighted to watch someone move with joy. That's why I stopped that lady singing or whistling. I was like, yeah, that's lighting me up. That is making me feel good hearing this person sing. It would make me feel good to see people dance. I was walking in my local Safeway years ago and watched a woman from about a half an aisle away, like pirouette through the aisle yeah. several times. And she was good. And I was like, damn. And then, I, then she that saw that I saw, and I goes that I think I gave her like a thumbs up or something. Yeah. And it embarrassed her. And I was really sad that mm. you felt caught, you know, I was like, well, oh, no, brother, keep going. I'll leave. <laughs> you, you read a piece that I wrote one time. It was a fictionalized uh, scene and it was yeah. about a guy getting caught dancing on the street corner in, in yeah. Alaska. That's what and I was exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking of when I brought well, this up. The reason that I have a thing around this is because when I was a kid, 10 years old, I was doing this body wave, this spinal body wave, I was fucking around with my body in the kitchen, right? Very vulnerable, very feminine uh, movement. And my fucking dad caught me and he like made a jab at me, you know? And that, that, that just, it wired me, you know, I, I, there's a yeah. deep subconscious thing in me that, that the most embarrassing, terrifying thing that could happen to me would be getting caught dancing. Yeah. 
by someone who didn't like it. I guess I get, I honestly, I don't even think that would matter. It would just really? be the, the, the fact of the experience of getting caught is so viciously wired in my body and I don't know how to let it go, you know, and I've tried. I can dance in front of people, but only if I know they're watching and I know I'm doing a good job. But to get caught doing something shitty, yeah. you know, that's very hard for me. And I, I don't know how to unwire that. I think I just yeah. accepting it. <laughs> it's interesting. Just yesterday, I, um, I recently have been using quite a bit more these earplugs they're uh, loop brand earplugs and they they have different levels of which they drown out the noise so there's like mm. full silence earplugs and then these ones are called the experience earplugs where like you can hear the people kind of in front of you oh. and it drowns out a lot of that like cafeteria type noise and sometimes especially so i was wearing them in a grocery store yesterday and it does drown out a lot of the like grocery store noise. And so, and I love the way that humming sounds when you have those in, cause it's like a yeah. full, like, Whoa. you know, vibrating effect. And so I was like humming while I was grocery shopping. And those are like those little moments where I'm like, really part of me. There's that, that part of what you're explaining that like little child inside of you that's been caught before that's like. You, are you doing like, cause I'm like pushing through that. And then it's like, so then are you doing this for attention? Like, do you want to exactly. get caught? Like, why are you doing this then? Like, there's like, and again, it's not like that thought was a conscious one that I just said, but it's like this like angel devil battle that's happening without you even knowing where it's yeah. like, stop humming. No, like keep humming. But what, then why are you doing it? Like you're trying, are you trying to get attention? It reminds me even of like how you'll see sometimes on memes that I so relate to where someone will be like crying in their room and they'll like catch a glimpse of themselves in the mirror. And they're like, you're such an attention seeker. Like, why are you crying? And it's like, we just do this to ourselves where it's like either you're trying to get attention or you're not. And there's this, like, there's this tug of war of who you are authentically and how to be such a person yeah. in a world that, especially with social media makes it seem like you're doing everything for, for other people. That is such a good well call. That's one of the well things said. that keeps me from doing is because I don't want the attention in that moment. I want to experience the joy and allow other people's other people to experience joy in that way too, by saying, Hey, we can do this. But the thing is, is that one way that comes off is that you want attention. It's not what it's about. Yeah. yeah. So what do but you do the, with that? Abigail? You know, the interesting thing though, is that is like, there's such a judgment around this idea of like, well, we're doing it for attention, but I mean, if our children came to us and said, which my kids do all the time and say, look at this, watch me. It's a gift to give that to them. And I, I I'm, dro oh, yeah. I'm dropping my, my judgments on people who seek hmm. that, that even that phrase, the people who seek attention, because we're all, like you said earlier, Daniel, like we're, we all are suffering from any number of things. And it's so what that we need attention. We need love. That's we a need, good point. Yeah. We need connection. We oh, need to know, we beautiful. need to know that we're being seen. And, and if, you know, there's, you know, I don't want to even get into the argument of like, it's not real attention and all that stuff because it's, it's overthinking it. Um, yeah. Cause there is, there is something we, I, I find myself, you know, whether it's in my car after it's been clean or people noticing me in my car, if I have an awesome outfit, whatever, whatever yeah. this part of me that wants my own attention and there's the, Oh, I'm looking for attention. Then there's this judgment I'm like, dude, yeah, I am. 
And well, and, and some things are worth the attention, right? Like it's like get, it's kind of like the person who won't dance because they don't want to seem like they're doing it for attention. It's like get over yourself. It's that's the type of thing that needs attention. So like be a yeah. host for it. Go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Abigail, I, I know that we could keep talking about this. You've been a great yeah, conversationalist. This has been an amazing conversation. Yeah, thanks I, for joining I us. I legit lost track of time. This hasn't happened in a while. That's cool. In the uh, neurodivergent world, we call it time blindness. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, a little vortex. It goes, there. man. It goes. It, is, it really does. But uh, where quick, can people find you, Abby? Hold on real quick. Oh, yeah. Just Abby, we kind of both took our turn there. Uh, Do you have anything, anything else you wanted to say around that last conversation? Yeah, no, it's just, it's beautiful. I love what you said, Ron, about it's okay to need attention. It's okay to need connection. And I guess the the end of this story would be, I don't know what the answers are. I don't think you guys necessarily yeah. know what the answers are, but the more we kind of come together and accept each other and are curious, I think the closer we come to really finding that comfort and connection and, and ultimately whatever the answer is, we're closer to finding that when we're curious and when we're searching and when we're doing it together. So I just, I, I genuinely have loved this conversation. I didn't know fully what to expect. I love talking to other people, but you two are genuinely doing just what we were just talking about. You're cultivating in this world more of what we need and I anyone who's listening to this like giving yourself permission to be yourself and to cultivate that attention is giving other people that permission as well and I think that that's a genuinely beautiful thing and so thank you for this opportunity truly and as far as finding me Instagram is a really good place so at coach Abigail Taylor or you can always email me as well at support at coachabigailtaylor.com. And I, I love, 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 love different perspectives. And so anything that anyone got from this show, I'm sure you all would love to hear that as well. And, and likewise. So yeah, yeah just, just really appreciate this. Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you That's so much. Super kind to say, by the way, thank you very yeah. much. Got a little choked up listening Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it, Abby. All right, thank you. we'll uh, we'll let you know when we uh, get this produced and send you clips and things like that. Sounds great, guys. Thank you. All right, see you next time. Take care. Field dressing, everybody. Abigail Taylor, who I affectionately call Abby. Instantly, I can't help it. <laughs> Instantly and without. Consent? <laughs> no, you did ask consent after you did the thing, which is that's kind of a no no, brother. No. Is it? <laughs> it's kind of, I should ask beforehand, but more people giving nicknames to more people is a huge fan of that. And and you can ask for, you know, what is it? Do do and then apologize later or something? <laughs> you know, you you I've never called you Danny. Yeah. Daniel. Yeah. And I've rarely called you Dan. Yeah. I don't, so I, it's not that I want to give people um, nicknames. It's just that sometimes something in my brain and my I mouth, it. it feels easier. Feel or not even way. easier. It just feels more right. And I, and I, 
I hate to assume that for people. I mean, I, I, I get it. Like I had a friend named Johnny. I didn't like to say Johnny. I wanted to call him Johnny. He's like, no, dude, I'm Johnny. And I was like, oh, okay. Dude, I love making nicknames for people really fast. Usually it's Australians. The Aussies do this. They they chop names down and they add a Y or an IE and that's your that's your name, you know? And I picked yeah. that up there and there's this uh, girl in one of my uh my art classes and her name's Delaney. And she's cool. I like I like her. she got good style. And she go I go, one day I just go, Can I, do you people call you Laney? You know? And she goes, Yeah, I go, Can I call you Laney? She goes, Yeah. The next time I saw her. I was like, Lele, what's up? <laughs> Boy, you just, you bowled right over that one. <laughs> you I went, totally you went way past Laney. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works. And I think that's totally fine. And she laughed. But there's a good scene in Parks and Recreation where it's the epitome of this, of this conversation. I'm going to butcher it, but I'll look it up. Because it's Jean Ralphio is talking to the super uh, geeky guy in that show. I forgot his name. And in the course of like John Ralphio, who's a really hyped up person, in the course of his conversation of his side of a conversation. Which which guy is that on on Parks and Rec? John Ralphio? Yeah. Is that He's his a, character name or is that Yeah, the... no, it's his character name. He's the big fro, very charming. I don't know if I know that. Look at my he's great. Okay. John Ralphio clips are awesome. But he nicknames this guy three times in the course of a conversation. And then he says, Your new nickname is this. And then Two seconds later, or three seconds later, he goes, he goes, I hate the nickname this way. And then he changes it again. And then before what he changes it to, he doesn't even call him that. He calls him the, the next iteration of it. And I was just like, I fucking think that's so charming, man. So you can call. I, I think she was cool with that. My uh, best friend on my block was named Taiwan when I was uh, hmm. from first to third grade. His name was Taiwan. He was him and his sister. They they were their family were the only black family in our on our neighborhood. I was um, the only white child. No, no, no. There was two white white kids in an all Hispanic neighborhood, and in Taiwan and I were best friends, and uh, played every day. And he called me my favorite nickname to this day, and that was Ron Ron. And I'm anytime I hear do Ron Ron or something like that, I'm like, I love that one. Ron Ron's a good one. Well, I was kind of surprised by how good of a conversation that was with Abigail. I think I was too. And I, and I, um, yeah, man, you never know what you're going to get. And, and this was good. She was, she really, I mean, there's, there seemed to be a lot of confidence in what she was talking about. And, and I, I, I was put at ease right away with her own kind of ability to talk about neurodivergence and, and her, her, I mean, I, something else that put me way at ease was her own vulnerability with her own story, man. I mean, like she's gone through some tough stuff, really, really tough stuff. And I, and I have had family members go through similar things and I've, I have, I know what it's like to have to get myself to go through a diagnosis. It's not easy. It's really difficult stuff to, to push yourself through. And she's also just grounded, well-spoken, yeah uh authentic didn't feel like there was a lot of a lot of like pre pretense or or persona like she i didn't feel like she was wanting something or projecting something and there was a lot uh, something else going on underneath and that's a pretty yeah. easy thing to pick up with people but it's it can be subtle sometimes but i find that pretty I don't want to say distasteful because I don't want to make a judgment around because I know I do it too. 
Well, sometimes I'll be observing someone and I'm just like, you don't, you're not the way you're talking right now, you know? And it just, it's just true. It happens so often with people and it's so refreshing. I can't even say refreshing because I just engage. I personally want to fill my life up with those type with people who do this, which is just like, you know what? I'm frustrated right now. I'm frustrated for this reason. And before we can bullshit about the thing we bullshit, I just want you to know this is what's going on. When people do that, I find that so, I thank you. Thank you. You know, and I try to do that with you, like in our check-ins, you know, and like yeah. t- today, even I was just like, you know what? I don't want to be here. I'm in an introverted place. I don't know. You know, and just like, and then all of a sudden it gets the person talking about what's really going on. And also yeah. builds a bridge to the other person they're talking to. Cause they can be like, I got you. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I, I sometimes feel like too much, honestly, when I, when people ask me how I'm doing and I'm like, well, I'm not great because <laughs> I'm afraid that they're going to reject me. And so it, it, that, that's hard for me to do. Um, well, you do it with grace though. You know, someone goes, how are you doing? You go, I'm not doing well, you know, and you can make a joke out of it. Right. Yeah. But at least they know, <laughs> well, you know, it's, I said it the other night, I might've told you this. I said it other night to, to a friend of mine I hadn't seen in a, in a, a few weeks and she's this older uh, woman that is part of my archery community. And she, she saw me walk around the neighborhood and she pulled her over to talk to me. She pulled over. I was walking my dog. It was like 1030 at night. And she goes, Ron, where have you been? Because she, she used to see me three or four times a week up at the archery range. And, and I go, I've not been doing well. And she goes, oh, my God, it's not cancer, is it? is your health okay the fact that she went straight there and then i was like my health is fine you're actually i'm feeling better as the moment so good now (laughs) (laughs) that it's made me like just check in with (laughs) self-pity like just check in with if am i feeling like i need to chill out a little bit here you know i just had a I just had an idea and it's not related to what we were just talking about, but maybe it'd be nice to chat, chat with just for a moment here. I feel like we should take 10 people that we've had great conversations with between five and 10, our top five to 10 conversations we've had on here, have Mm -hmm. those people on again. Sure. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's been Mm -hmm. for sure folks I would love to keep talking to. It's like, why, why not? You know, like, yeah. Just because the something about the quality of conversation, as opposed to, and Abigail has quite a following, but I think it's easy to get excited about having people with big followings on, you know. Um, and we have gotten to a place where we can have people with big followings, and that's pretty cool. But also, that's not the most important thing. And I I know that's easy to say because that's a virtue signaling thing. Like that's not the most, but I really am landing in a place where I'm like, dude, because these conversations affect my life. I know that's that I am in such a good mood when we have a great conversation and it does add to my quality of life. It adds to it big time. It it totally does. And I feel like it's a a service to whoever is listening, right? To humanity in some level, the, the quality of it. I mean, I've had people pull me aside that I know 
um, go, man, that episode with so, such and such was really good. It was really, really good. But with that said, people have said some of the ones that I thought were more clunkers, you know, like we just didn't know to no fault of the guest, but just, yeah. I just didn't feel like the plane ever got off the ground. And I've had people many times and they're like, that was a great episode. And I'm just like, you never know. You but just yeah. selfishly, personally, yeah. you know, yeah. it's just, let's have, let's go back and, and talk to some of these that's great conversations. Why not? I'm into that. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing Abigail Taylor on today. Appreciate it. Shot in the dark, man. I don't even know who she was. I mean, it did, but you know. Was this just like a you go to the discovery page on Instagram and you just scroll, scroll, scroll? I don't until, use the dis- I don't use that. Page. We should do discovery. <laughs> we should do discovery <laughs> page roulette, roulette and it just. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Although there's one guy that I that I found recently, just real quick. This is because this is cool. This is the type of shit that I think people can get up to and do get up to. He's a hip hop artist, and but a YouTube hip hop artist, you know. And he goes, he it's a thing. He just spins a fucking globe, turns his head away, puts his finger down, and whatever country his finger lands on, he finds a, a musician from that country, asks them if they'll collaborate. They collaborate on a piece and they post it. And he, because he's popular, he can help. He blows these people up. That's fun. Isn't that cool? That's super fun. Let's talk to that guy. I have. I pitched him. Awesome. All right, man. Good job. That was a great one. Yeah. You're on fire. Ron Thanks, fire. man. Ron fire. I like that one too. Thanks, Dan. That's it. See ya.